And now on Tucson Business Radio X, your home for real estate with Carol Nugent. And hello, everyone. This is Carol Nygut, your home for real estate in beautiful, sunny Tucson, Arizona, live streaming on Tucson Business Radio X. And today we're going to address a topic that I'm hearing an awful lot about, which is what is happening with real estate and how is COVID-19 affecting appraisals? And I'm very grateful to have Alexander Tapia with me today. Alexander is a residential um, uh, a residential real estate appraiser here in um, Southern Arizona, and he is with the Associated Residential Appraisers of Southern Arizona. And I know how busy appraisers are right now, Alex, so thank you again for joining me today. Not a problem. Thank you for having me on. And by way of, of introduction, since we do broadcast from Tucson, and I know that our market is a little different than other parts of the country, I think it's important to preface our discussion um, with the fact that our market is hopping. In fact, I barely had time to get to do the show today. Um, our, our, I would say the last 10 days, it's we've had an increasing amount of activity. Buyers are out since in Arizona, some of the restrictions about movement have been lifted. And we are really, all, the, all of the people I know who are realtors, we are really earning our dollars right now. And uh, so I just want to say that out in front because I know that what's going on here in Tucson isn't necessarily the case in other areas. But I think that as we get into appraisals, some of the factors um, that are affecting the Tucson appraisal uh, are, are pretty consistent across the country. Um, so, but before we get into that, you know, I, I was thinking, Alex, that I think that an appraisal is a little bit of a mystery to a lot of people. They know they have to pay for it, and they know that if they're in a real estate transaction, that it's critical in order for them to get their loan approved so they can purchase a property. But I just wondered if you wouldn't be willing to take a few minutes and just give a, a little bit of information about what what is an appraisal and what can buyers and or just homeowners who might want a property appraised, what can they expect to get from an appraisal? Well, um, yes, uh, appraisals, uh, Carol, are 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 there for a reason, and there are multiple reasons that we, we do appraisals. Um, one is, is the most common is during a financial transaction with a home. Um, if you're buying a home, uh, refinancing your home, what the lender orders the appraisal for is as a um, an idea of the risk involved in the loan that they're possibly going to sign off on. Um, so we report we, we create a report that tells them what the home is and why we think the value that we put is accurate. And that tells the lender whether they want to assess the risk of that loan or not. Other reasons um, that we do appraisals are for tax purposes. If somebody is, say, contesting their taxes, um, you know, we do them for estate taxes when somebody passes. 
um, and divorces when people have to split a property. So there are many reasons that we do, do appraisals. Um, the process is is starting with basically finding out what we're working with. What piece of real estate are we? Um, where is it located? And all the other major factors we sort of compile. And that's why we do an inspection. And then from there, we analyze market data to come up with our values. And uh, I, I also, I don't think you mentioned refinancing, which of course is one thing that's keeping many appraisers very busy since oh. the interest rates have dropped. Oh, absolutely. As soon as they uh, they drop the interest rates in hopes of uh, boosting the economy for the COVID, uh, we immediately saw an uptick in uh, appraisal requests, which were already quite a few to begin with. Um, like you, Carol, uh, I stopped maybe 30 seconds uh, before uh, we started speaking. In other words, when you called is when I stopped working. Yes. And um, so like you, we're just trying to keep up. Um, with the demand for for appraisals right now, yeah. Well, it, it's I feel I happen to have lived in the Chicago area, and I listened to a Chicago station there, and I know that our market is is kind of we're, we're very very fortunate in how busy our market has been in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Historically speaking, the the Southern Arizona market, um, with with Tucson as its main anchor area, um, they they have seen. The slow and steady, we're the yep. slow and steady market. We slowly and steadily plot along. We slowly upkeep, our, you know, our values slowly uptick. Um, and that has been a very uh, attractive uh, feature of our market for investors around the country. And we find investors uh, buying and selling houses here from around the country. So that's a great thing for us. Unfortunately, for the rest of the country, that's not exactly true. They see much... Um, higher ups and downs um, than we do, and that can make some of the people in those markets a little bit less, uh, shall we say, confident in that market. Yes. Um, yeah, but but here in Southern Arizona, we have that, that base, and it has been very, very fortunate for us. Um, we noticed that uh, a lot of the rural areas in Southern Arizona also move along a little bit slower than even our urban areas. Mm -hmm. So... Um, that that is one benefit that we have. However, we do see the uh, the overall ups and downs when when our national um, economies and markets are affected, and that's the worry today. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed for all of us that we all stay safe, but we all try to move forward and try to conduct our business as as we've been doing our alternate work from home type of of situations, depending on the industry we're in. And I. Right. Uh, yeah, as I understand, uh, real estate agents, um, they're doing most of their work from home these days. Well, real estate agents, you know, most of us do a lot of work from home, even pre-COVID-19 yeah. with frictions. Because yeah, was, oh, if you go into a real estate office and you see a lot of people in there, that's pretty scary because that means that they aren't do out doing business. <laughs> so, yeah. you know... We get out and about quite a bit, but you know, I'm, I think I'm, I think this is really great to bring up, given that we do want to focus on COVID-19. But the fact that you mentioned about the national markets, because during the mid 2000s, when we did have the financial industry induced uh, recession, um, 
I know that Tucson was one of the hardest hit housing markets in the country where the average property lost about 40% of its value. So we were really affected, you know, we were really, really affected by that national trend. But now I'm going to proudly say that a couple of things. Number one, we were we were having just an outright seller's market for about, I would say, 14 months before COVID happened. And in fact, I think one of the reasons that our market is so active now is we sort of had a pent up demand because all of those people who are out in the market were put on hold pretty much during the most, the most serious stay at home restrictions. And because so most of the predictions that I've heard as far as the Tucson market is that we're in very, very good shape because our market, our excuse me, our economy has been so strong. And in fact, Tucson was named among the top 10 cities best positioned to thrive after the COVID uh, restrictions. And I have to say, I'm I'm very optimistic about that. And we may be ahead of the curve in terms of the national uh, response to, to COVID. Indeed, I agree. And and um, one thing I would add to that is that is as compared to the rest of the country. Right. Um, you know, we, we we can't. It would be very difficult to say that we would stay stable when the rest of the country is declining. But we just may not decline at the same rate, or we may stay stable stable while they slightly decline and then recover. Um, we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed that indeed we are going to be okay and come out of this just fine. Um, one of the main main caveats that we ought to give here, one of the main things that we need to say is, is this is so new and yeah. so unheard of, and as we've as, as the words have been thrown around plenty of times, unprecedented, that it's very difficult to see very far into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, as a, a, a stabler market than others, should see less fluctuation. And, and I totally agree with you, Carol. We should come out better. Um, but no one really knows. No one's, you know, we we can't uh, we can't make any final determinations because we have no way of of putting this in a model that something has happened like this before. It's just all new. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then let's 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 leave the future to the future mm-hmm. and let's talk a little bit about um, I love you. You had mentioned that you would like to talk about the idea of panic selling. And oh, absolutely. I'm, yeah. And I'm going to just I'm going to add a little personal note here I'm because I actually just sold my house. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't think it was panic selling, but early in March, uh, I'm building a new house. Uh And I happened to have a neighbor's house that I knew she wanted me to, she rents it and she wanted me to sell it for her. So I had planned on selling my house after I sold her house this summer because I really, I've done a lot of improvements on my house and I didn't feel it would be fair to her to have my house on the market at the same time. But then when everything, when we just started getting the glimpse of COVID, we didn't really have any restrictions and nothing was really going on in Arizona. But I got a little anxious about that and I put my house on the market 
I got a phenomenal offer, two days on the market, very typical of what was going on in, in Tucson. Uh, and I feel very lucky that April 8th, in the midst of the COVID restrictions, my sale closed. Um, so Congratulations. I like, oh, thank you. Thank you. I like to think that that was smart selling as opposed to panic selling. Uh, but I'm wondering what, what you've been seeing. Yeah, um, when it, when it comes to the panic selling, um, I wanted to speak about that because we've all heard about the panic buying. Everyone was buying up this and that, right? But, but but there's also panic selling, and right now I only know of a few cases of what I would consider panic selling. Um, right now they are still outlier um, sales, and and as an appraiser, we we weed out the outliers and don't use them for comparables until they become part of the market. In other words, until there's enough of them to where it's a significant portion of the market and it has an effect. So, May I just interrupt you to ask, I just want a little clarification. Is that because panic selling has induced them to lower their asking price, which would then skew the market? Yes, and, and that's what I um, that's what uh, I was trying to uh, articulate to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to bring up one case that we saw just what two days ago. Um, this home had been on the market for nearly a year. Um, in my opinion, as an appraiser, it was a little bit high, but um, you know, eventually somebody would have probably picked it up. Um, it wasn't out of you know too unreasonable, and. They had been selling it and trying to sell it and trying to sell it and staying pretty firm on their asking price. As of March 13th is when we've got the national emergency declared, mm -hmm. and they sold less than, uh, you know, they signed their contract less than seven days after that at a 30% reduction. Wow. So that individual, you know, had held on to their prices, and then all of a sudden when this happened, they, they let their property go at a 30% reduction. To me, that would be a panic sell. They, they're, I'm not saying they're acting unwise. Um, I think it's a smart thing to sell before you know you're going to lose a bunch of money and sell it for less as an individual, but that does affect the market, and mm -hmm. that is, is where – declines can come from is situations like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we cannot panic sell and, and kind of hang on, we'll be fine as far as everything that we've talked about before, that we're a more stable market than the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. um, but and how much, Are you seeing much of that going on? No, I only know of a few of ex examples at this point. Um, we have seen a, 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 a drop in listings. Um, and all the things that we've heard about, um, that, and, and we would expect in a situation where the market becomes unknown uh, with an unknown future. So right now we're not seeing an effect. I am very rarely making a negative adjustment um, for time at this point. I've only done it on two or three reports since the COVID thing started, and those are in very specific markets. Um, for example, the one I was uh, typing away at before uh, before you called is one of those ones that's going to require a negative time adjustment because we have re uh, declining values in a specific market on the northwest side that has manufactured homes. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, it's very specific to that, though, yes. in that area. So yeah. hopefully, um, you know, everyone will have confidence in our market enough to 
you know, participate as normal, act as usual. And at that point, we don't have uh, panic selling, and any declines that we would see would actually come from a market rather than, um, you know, from the economy rather than market reaction. So it's it's a it's a complicated issue. Um, as a market, we don't want people to panic sell, but we can't blame people for doing it either. Right. Um, yeah, because they're looking out for their own best interest. So it's it's a it's a it's a two side of the coin issue. And once once all this starts to clear up, I I, I really feel like the the market itself and the market participants are going to gain more confidence in the future and act as normal. And so, so I'm assuming that you only see panic selling when something dramatic has happened, such as a pandemic, or when we had the the financial crash in the the first decade of the uh, 2000s. Are you seeing other effects of COVID itself uh, on appraisals? Oh, absolutely. Um, many people are concerned about appraisers coming into their house, which is perfectly understandable. Yes. Um, and and the government and, and lenders have come up with ways to uh, do virtual interior inspections. They have uh, signed off on allowing for exterior inspections when they would normally require interior inspections. And um, they've also... Uh, we haven't seen it affect us other than a slight drop in volume, but um, there is programs where they're deferring appraisals for 180 days after the close of escrow. So there's definitely that going on. And, and from an appraiser's point of view, the main concern there is the accuracy of the appraisals. Going back to why we do appraisals is to assure the lender about the risk they're taking with the loan. And if appraisers can't get into homes and really do the analysis of the finishes, the features, right. um, you know, all the stuff you don't know from looking at a home from the outside, mm-hmm. once we have those in a report, that confidence in that report and the, the measure of risk is much higher than, than if we were outside. Um, so there's a bit of a concern about possibly, you know, loans going through that wouldn't go through if there was an interior inspection uh, performed. And on the flip side of the same coin, sometimes we can't get to a sales price because we can't prove the inside was as nice as it truly is because we didn't. Right. It. So, so it, it's both sides of the coin on that one as well. So that's one of the things that is affecting us with COVID. Another thing is is the the actual activity um some people are very backing away some people you know that uh they're, they're trying to take advantage of the situation and go out and buy stuff because they think that it's going to be good for them um another concern we have is the unemployment rate um mm-hmm. how that's going to affect us in the future is also a big question mark. Um, we all know that if you don't make money, you can't spend money. Right. So with the number of unemployment claims that we have currently, um, that's a concern. However, what percentage of those unemployment claims are actually not going to get their jobs back once this goes away? If right. there's a significant portion of that market that gets their jobs back when this goes away, um, 
we're going to expect them to, again, start behaving as normal within the market. Yeah, yeah. Well, th it's interesting because you're, you, I, I'm very interested to hear you talk about sort of the, the longer term, quote, recovery, unquote, from COVID, because uh, right now, as I was saying, our activity in our market is phenomenal. And I know uh, I was curious just to compare um, March statistics. We are actually our sales price, our value, mm -hmm. um, March of 2020 over March of 2019 is up. Our days on the market is less than it was in March of 2019. And we had a seller's market going on at that time. So, and this I think too is one of the, the unique things to the general Tucson market, mm -hmm. which is that we've been, our, the biggest factor that has fueled our uh, market activity, I think in the last, I'd say 16 months is that we have such a, a low per, uh, percentage of inventory. We just don't have the amount of, the, the percentage of available homes in comparison with the number of people who are looking to purchase. And I, that that's what's driven, I, I think, our market, not only in terms of activity, but also in terms of value. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we have increasing uh, industrial sectors where, where that's bringing in jobs and, and bringing in people from other places. Um, we have great climate. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you, you can't argue with our great climate. Yes, it gets hot at, in the summer, um, but it's still a cool evening and you can and relax on a summer night and enjoy the desert uh, coolness on your back patio. Lots of people do that and barbecue or, or something like that. Um, so there's a lot of benefits and I think people are, are finding out about that and they're moving here. Not only people, but uh, businesses themselves mm -hmm. are moving here from around the country. Um, our, our labor rates that we pay out are lower compared to many other places in the country, which is very attractive to industry. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we're seeing a lot of that with the, the, tar the big Target building that was built a few years ago, the big Amazon building that's mm -hmm. down there now. Mm -hmm. um, those are bringing in people. And once people show up and they enjoy the environment, they have family that comes over and enjoys it as well. And they, they possibly may move. We have a very strong retirement community here in Southern Arizona and excellent healthcare facilities for the most part for, for our elderly people that are retired here. And all of this is bringing in people. And that's never a bad thing for our economy. No, not for us locally. I think we're very, very lucky. And, and in fact, um, I always say that our summer is comparable to other cities' winters. That's It's the months of the year where we spend more time inside. But I'd much rather have on sandals than boots. And I never have to worry about extra time to put on extra clothes. I never have to worry about extra time for driving or have the anxiety of getting into an accident because there's snow or ice. So I, I think it, it it's interesting to me that many, many people don't want to come to Southern Arizona because they hear the horrors about the heat in the summer, but it's so much worse in the winter wherever they are. I would much rather go through a Tucson summer than, and I've lived in the Midwest. I've lived in the Rocky Mountains. So, I mean, I loved winters when I lived there, but I think I'm, I'm pretty done now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, I have quite a bit of family around the country and, and I speak to one of my cousins in Wisconsin 
And, you know, there's days where she's got to shovel herself out of her driveway just to get out of the driveway. And I'm, you know, just strolling along and it's 75 degrees outside and I'm happy. Um, and when it gets hot out here, uh, one of the tricks I do is I'll go ahead and drive up a mountain somewhere and, and you know, get a 20 degree drop in temperature and, and have a picnic. Yeah, yeah, good for you. Well, I, getting back to COVID, I, I am curious. I have heard rumors uh, from other realtors that they're experiencing value reductions on listings that they have or on homes that they're assisting people in buying because of COVID. Now, I have not experienced that. In fact, I've had just the opposite experience. I'm finding that our values are up, and I don't know if it's the particular areas that I'm um, doing business, but are you familiar with whether appraisers are devaluing properties simply because of the pandemic? I can't speak to what other appraisers do. Um, I can only speak to what, what we do in here in our office. And what we do is we base that off of market data. We have to be able to prove that with market data. Now, there's always, we all feel and we all know that there are negative market pressures out there and, and that's going to result in something. Unless we have the data to prove what that something is, it's very difficult to to actually devalue a property. That becomes more of an opinion than a fact-based adjustment. And when we make adjustments, what we really try to do is pull that out of out of the market data and and use market reaction for our adjustments. Um, so it, if if we're if somebody's making an adjustment simply because of COVID. Um, I would ask for market data to support it. All that and being said, um, some markets move faster than others. And indeed, I have, like I spoke earlier, I, I did make a negative time adjustment on the appraisal that I was working on right before you called. That is one of very few that, is, that I've done that with. And that is because we have market data that shows a decline in actual values. And it's not just because COVID is out there. Can you define the term that you used about for why you devalued that particular property? Um, you the, said it was time-related. Yeah, time adjustment. What that means, yeah, um, what that means is we've looked at median sales prices over the last year or two, and mm -hmm. we've compared, uh, we've we've made a trend on that, and if we see a downward trend then we can say that the market is declining and therefore a house that was worth, you know, let's just throw a number out there, $100,000 six months ago is no longer worth that. It's now worth, you know, 95. And therefore, right. if that, you know, therefore we make that adjustment for that value difference. And so you look at, so market trend is what you're really talking about. If the market is trending down over time, mm. you do have a legitimate, data-driven reason for reducing the value. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's a better way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to deal, you know, the fortunate uh, position that you're in is you write up a report and you submit it either to an individual, but mo in many cases to an institution. I have to actually discuss things with people, so I'm always very conscious of terminology and wanting to not assume that people understand because as you well know I'm in real estate you know there's so much jargon 
And I feel like one of the greatest services I provide to my clients is to really make sure that they understand because we throw around the jargon like nothing. But, you know, the, the, the normal person out there, they don't know what a SPUDS is. They don't know what a time-adjusted devaluation is, you know. And, and so I just try to be a little conscious of my, my goal with this program, Alex, is to be educational and informative. So that's why I might step in from time to time and ask you to just clarify those things for the benefit of somebody who, who's listening. Um, please do so. Yeah, please do so. If I'm talking too much jargon, please uh, let me know and I'll, I'll try to put it in, in better terms. Well, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm following just fine, but um, I just want to make sure that we don't lose anybody who's listening because this is such an important topic for so many people. And I want to go back to what you just said about if an appraisal comes in low, ask to see the market data. Now, I'm a realtor, so I do have mechanisms when I'm representing a client. I do, I am aware of the mechanisms where I can challenge uh, or at least ask for additional explanation of an appraisal. But what about the ordinary person out there? Are there mechanisms in place where someone can ask for additional explanation or question uh, an appraiser? If the appraiser is open-minded, yes, because um, we're all individuals and we, we all have our own personalities. So, so when you do when 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 we're doing an actual transaction, say through a financial institution, whether it's a purchase or a refinance or or anything like that, um, once they get the appraisal and there is a mechanism, what you can do is contact your lender and you can present sales that you think are are a better indicator of value for the home. Um, we typically try to keep it from down to three or four. If you throw 12 sales out at an appraiser, he's he or she is, is uh, they're not going to react well. But if you right. present three or four uh, sales to an appraiser, what they should do if they're doing, uh, you know, their due diligence is they should go ahead and pull those listings and analyze those sales. They should go ahead and give them an adjustment out and see if those sales are indeed, um, quote unquote, better or superior to the sales that are in the report to indicate to be a better indicator of value. We can't say that they would indicate a higher value because we appraisers aren't looking to hit values high or low. We're just looking to see what the value is. So. One of the things that I can do is is recommend what kind of sales that you guys can can try to select. The more similar it is to the subject property in those situations, the absolute better of a sale it is for the for the value indicator part of it. So if if we have three sales that you give us that are better than the sales that we have in our report, in other words, they require fewer adjustments. Um, then we got to consider those and we got to put them in our report. One of the and problems, I, oh, go ahead, Carol. No, no, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> it, it's quite all right. One of the problems that we run into is, is we'll get um, people involved in the transaction that just kind of grab the, the highest sales that they can find and throw them at us. And a right. lot of times they, they're already in the report um, that we have turned in. So it's kind of a wasted sale that they could have given us a different one to analyze. Mm-hmm. So um, that 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 really is is just find the best sales that you can that would support why 
you have listed it at that much or sold it at that much or think that it's worth that much. Um, so when it comes to the individual, what I can recommend is say an individual orders an appraisal uh, from an appraisal institution. What they can do is if they disagree with it, call up that appraiser and discuss it with them and present again three or four sales and do it in a manner to where you're not telling him he did his job wrong that you would like him to consider something. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great explanation, especially in terms of if you've had individuals who have come to you who need an appraised value on a house because of some of the conditions you, you spoke about earlier, if it's a divorce or unfortunately it's a probate or, uh, you know, there's been a, a death in the family. But I think in listening to your expl- explanation, I have to put in a pitch that those are some of the very reasons why it's important for people not to buy and sell properties on their own. Because as a realtor, I'm very, very, I'm very expert and I'm very comfortable interacting with appraisers. And in fact, one of the ironic things about COVID that's affected me is I see as a realtor, I see myself as a partner to the appraiser. To a certain extent, we're both doing the same thing. When I set a list price, I'm I'm doing the comparative market analysis. I happen to be a relocation agent. As a relocation agent, we have to do extensive research uh, to determine value. We do comparative market analysis, and then we do broker market analysis, and we have to report every three weeks that a property is remains on the market. We have to repeat that research. So I, I see that we're very much in partnership with the appraisers. And when I have a property that I have any concern about the appraisal, I do all of the research that you're talking about. And I leave packets for the appraiser or yeah. I'll meet them. You yeah. know, when we, when we weren't so busy, the appraisers always let listing agents know when they were going to be on property. And I would meet if, it, if I was concerned, I would always meet the appraiser to provide some supporting evidence, it, whether it was comparative market uh, analyses or maybe it was cost of some of the improvements that the appraiser may or may not be familiar with. And ironically, during COVID, because you were never entering into houses, I would leave packets for appraisers and they never got seen. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, I can see that happening. Um, and yeah, uh, agents leave a uh, package for us all the time. And indeed, we, we appraisers rely on agent information heavily. Uh, we get our comps from the multiple listing service, you know, our right. sales comparables from the multiple listing service, which agents put in. Right. And we rely heavily on your guys' data. Um, so, it, yeah, absolutely. The more data, the better. That's always uh, That's always a good thing to have more data. And to analyze that data is the appraiser's job. And Just I'm like going to put, this is where I'm going to put a pitch in for any of our listeners. If you are considering selling a home, I would certainly recommend that you at least talk to an agent, call me or talk to another agent to find out what an agent can do for you. But especially even when you're talking to those agents, make sure that any agent that you're considering working with, make sure that they have the data to back up the listing price that they're recommending. Because one of the reasons we have a lot of failed appraisals is that 
Unfortunately, we have realtors who one of the ways they try to have a competitive edge is they will list a property way beyond the value that the market will support. And then if and if the or when the seller does get a buyer, then the appraisal doesn't go through because it was never substantiated by market data to begin with. So I would just make sure that those of you who are listening, if you're considering selling, you know, give me a call or give another licensed realtor a call and make sure that anyone that you're considering uh, representing you to to list your house, that they can back up the value that they're recommending with current market data that is comparable to the property that you're you're listing. And I'm going to just quickly say that this is Carol Nygut, your home for real estate here at Tucson Business Radio X. Normally, we are broadcasting from the Stuart Title Building on beautiful Broadway's uh, Avenue in downtown Tucson. We're working remotely right now out of concern and for uh, the restrictions of COVID-19. And today, I have the pleasure of having Alexander Tapia as my guest, and Alexander is a licensed appraiser here in uh, Arizona, and he is with the Associated Residential Appraisers of Southern Arizona. And, you know, before we go any further, Alex, I was thinking it'd be really interesting to know how you got into the business of becoming an appraiser. What's your background in the education and the training? Because I think, you know, when something goes wrong in a transaction, whether it's a real estate transaction or it's an appraisal for another reason, you people always want to take aim at the individual who did it. And I don't know that people are aware of just how much training and education and expertise you've developed in order to be licensed as an appraiser. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Not a problem at all. Um, I'm a Tucson native, and I grew up, uh, as many other people here in Tucson do, just uh, going through school and um, getting uh, getting out of high school and, and entering the work market and uh, trying to figure out um, continuing education, further education from there. And so that's the situation I was in. Um, I was a young father. uh had a kid at uh, 19. My first one was born. And... Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, 21. I got married at 19 and, uh, and uh, had my first kid at 21, who is graduating today. Congratulations, Seth. I love you. Um, so he's graduating today, and it's it's at the at the time he was young, and I had my young family. I I was working a lot of labor jobs. That didn't seem like a very um, healthful future. Uh, for me at the time, I was breathing a lot of dust and, and things like that. So I started looking around um, and I came across an appraisal office that uh, seemed like they were doing good things for people. And I, I hired on there and quickly saw that the appraising was a, a good job, uh, flexible hours, um, decent pay. And so I started working on that. Um, at the time, we were required a little bit more apprenticeship hours than we are now but it requires a couple of thousand hours under an apprentice um, and not less than two years, I think, is the current regulation. So it takes quite a bit. Then you also have to have a college degree at the current time. Um, in order to become a president now, you have to have a college degree. And on top of that, they require quite a, quite a few uh, hours of classes um, that uh, takes a Take some time to get through. Uh, the appraiser that I just uh, got certified a few months ago that's working in my office 
it took her about two and a half years to go through the process. Is there a, a, a state licensing exam or is it a national licensing exam? It, there's, yeah, there's uh, appraisers are regulated through the states. Um, we do have national associations and things like that, but they're regulated mostly through the states. And each state will have different requirements. Um, there is some, some reciprocity between states as well. So uh, some appraisers here in Arizona will also work in, uh, say, New Mexico or something like that. Um, so it is a long, complicated process to become an appraiser. And even when you do get your appraiser, there's three levels of appraisers in Arizona. This is something I should mention. The lowest level is um, your uh, licensed appraiser. And that's they're allowed to work on residential properties, but there is a limit to what type of residential properties that they're allowed to work on. The mid-level is what I am, is a certified appraiser. And we're allowed to work on anything residential, four units or less, that is within our competency to do. Um, and then the highest tier uh, appraiser certification license is your general appraiser here in Arizona. And those are the guys that typically do mostly commercial work, but they are also allowed to do residential work. So those are the three levels. And each level as you go up requires more and more and more apprentice hours, more and more schooling hours. So it really depends on that individual, how much time they have, how quickly they need to, to get certified or licensed so that they can start making money. Um, when it comes to the lenders and getting our client base, Mm -hmm. It gets a little bit more complicated than that because even though we're certified, a lot of lenders are uneasy about hiring an appraiser that has only two months of experience or something like that. Right. So typically they look for appraisers with two years of experience. So for most appraisers, in order to get a decent client list, you're looking at about a four-year um, you know, dedication on that one. So in it's for a reason. Like you, Carol, we are we are professionals. We have our education, and, and we like to think that we, we're good at what we do. And just like it's smart for an individual to go to somebody with that education for a realtor so that they don't have to lose out or, or miss out on something or, or whatever the situation is. I mean, there's a reason why we get taught what we get taught. It's the same thing with appraisers. And one of the things that I commonly tell people who are considering getting an appraisal but they don't know if they need one or not on a personal level is when you look at homes, they're typically the most expensive purchase and in, a, in an individual's life or a family's life. A couple hundred bucks on an appraisal is a pretty cheap insurance policy to make sure you're not leaving thousands on the table somewhere. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I was just thinking I wanted to ask you about fees. How do how do appraisers set their fees? Is it by square footage? Is it a flat fee? What is there a methodology or is it up to each individual appraiser? It's up to each individual appraiser with certain rules in place. We are not, and I repeat, not allowed to base our fees off of values. Um, that would be a, a way to get an appraiser uh, a reason to not appraise it for what it should. He gives them a reason to appraise it for more because the more he appraises for, the more fee he gets. So that's not allowed. 
Right. Um, some appraisers will base it on the square footage. Some appraisers base it on location. Um, what we do here in our office is we try our best to get an estimate as to how much time we're actually going to be working on that file, and we try to make it fair to people. Um, mm -hmm. Our appraisals here range anywhere from $500 to I've charged $3,000, mm -hmm. depending on the property and its location. Um, generally speaking, if uh, if I've got to drive more than, say, 40, 45 minutes from my office, then we start adding trip fees to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I, I was in Rio Rico this morning and uh, did two there so that, you know, we had a trip fee for each of those ones. But that those appraisals were um, $650 apiece, which is a fairly good price considering that we had to drive all the way down to Rio Rico. Right, right. And what I'm just curious, what was the size of the properties? Square the size of those properties? One was a new construction at 2,000 square feet, and the other, so that was the first one, then I went to the other one, was a slightly smaller property. Um, it was a bit older and about 1,500 square feet on that one. It had no garage. The first one had a two-car garage. Both were on oh, about a half an acre. Pretty much, a, 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 well, aside from... A, excuse me, except for the acreage, pretty typical uh, properties, the houses themselves were pretty typical size. They weren't anything really special. No, no, they weren't anything really special. I go down to Santa Cruz County once a week. Um, over the last couple of weeks, I have done a few very large houses down there. Um, and, and they're not doing too bad at that time. They weren't doing too bad. Um, I'd have to do a reanalysis in order to, to really say for sure now today. But um, they weren't doing too bad. Um, the one was about 3,000 square feet, and the week before was uh, almost 4,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what was the – do you remember the cost of those? Just to give people an example of – yeah, yeah, the ones we had more time into, we were at 725, 750 um, for our fees on that. Um, and you know, it's uh, if, if I'm doing a ranch, for example, down in uh, Sonoida, and uh, we've got a house and we've got horse facilities and a detached workshop, and then we start adding in for some of that as well. I know I can say you're talking now about more rural areas, uh, and I can say that for this, the metropolitan area of the Tucson area, when I'm working with buyers or sellers even, I'm finding that most of the appraisals, they run around four, 450, you know, that seems to be kind of the average, maybe more, maybe up to six or 650, but um, they're, not, it, it, they're not that unreasonable. Yeah, no, I'm not going to say that we're the cheapest ones in town. Um, we, we're definitely yeah. not. Um, and one of the one of the reasons why we're we're at the fees that we're at is is um, I'm three weeks out right now, and yeah. at a certain point we're trying to trying to reduce the amount of backlog that we have by you know offering people to go to somebody that may be a little cheaper. Um, we'd never like to turn work down. Um, but at, at times we have to because even even with the higher fees, we'll end up with a larger workload than is really manageable. And so, and that is something that we did find during COVID. Uh, it was it was another one of the ironies in a way. We had fewer people out and about. However, 
because the, when the interest rates dropped, we had so many more people refinancing that we actually, in terms of real estate transactions, we were having to extend some of the close of escrows because the appraisers were so busy, we could not get the appraisals in, in the original escrow time. <laughs> yeah, and, and part of that, I mean, I can give you an example right here in my own office. Um, I'm considered one of the young buck appraisers, and I'm I'm 40. Um, the average age for appraisers in Arizona is is a little bit older than me. Um, we'll we'll say, and a lot of those guys and gals, they perfectly understandably weren't comfortable with going into multiple houses a day, having to stop by the gas station and go to a yeah. restaurant to get lunch. Um, one of my appraisers is in his 80s. Wow. And for for a good couple, a good month, um, we just didn't have him doing inspections. We mm-hmm. we just kept him kept him home, and and you know that's what he wanted. So we just kept him home because the risk to to actual reward factor here was was a little askew, um, you know, because he's also got pre-existing conditions. Right. And. It just wasn't worth it to to go out and do it. Yeah. Um, on top of that, we already have a shortage of appraisers here in Arizona. Um, mm-hmm. The last time I checked, we have 2,200 appraisers, uh, with some of them not even being active, but with most of those guys being active. And we have something around the uh, neighborhood of 44,000 real estate agents in the state. Um, I know there's 6,000 in the Tucson I, Tucson Association of Realtors. We have about 6,000 realtors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and not that many appraisers. So um, that shortage of appraisers to begin with means that we're backlogged to begin with. And then with some of the elder appraisers, you know, the guys I learned from, with some of them backing off from work, um, it, it's we could use some more appraisers. Yeah, yeah. And I've heard that there are some appraisers that really got out of the business because they just couldn't handle the load right now, that it it was just too stressful. I don't know how true that is, but that I did hear that going around. And I heard the same thing about lenders, that lenders just couldn't handle the, the volume that was coming in uh, in terms primarily in terms of refinancing. I don't know if you've heard any of those rumors, but... It was kind of an interesting to think that we were at a point where there was so much business that people couldn't keep up. Yeah, yeah, and and that is that is something I have seen. Indeed, it is something that I have seen. Um, uh, we're we're very busy in this office right now, and um, it's not a bad thing. I'm not complaining about having all the work. My main concern is is just trying to get through it as quickly as possible while still performing accurate work. Um, I worry about if if appraisers get too much work on their plate that they're that the whole reason that they're doing the appraisal again going back to the you know presenting the level of risk to the lender if they're not doing that accurately then then why are we getting the amount we're getting for the report? It, it, we really do need to make sure that we're not getting overwhelmed by that volume and still performing as we should. And it, it's easy to get overwhelmed with this. Um, it's, it is stressful. Um, there's a, quite a few times where, it, you know, we'll have people coming right back at us and, and arguing with us about the report that we spent so much time on. 
um, because they want a higher value. Uh, usually is what it boils down to. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is very stressful. We do have people calling us and yelling at us. Um, you know, we pass out business cards when we do our inspections. Sometimes a homeowner, if they don't get the number they want, will call us up and tell us how horrible we are. Mm-hmm. So there is those stresses involved, and I can definitely see some of the appraisers just saying, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, speaking of, of being very busy, I'm going to sort of try and tie this up because I'm very grateful for your time. Um, one of the one of the things that I don't remember that you mentioned, and uh, just to round out all of the opportunities to use an appraiser, is one of the things that I like to do is if I'm selling a property or if I have a client who's selling a property that either they've owned for a long time or it has some special qualities or they just don't know what the value is. I always recommend a pre-listing appraisal, which is a category I don't think that you you mentioned. So while we really were discussing some of the effects of COVID, I think that the whole idea of appraisals is an is something that the public just doesn't quite understand. I think a lot of public don't even really understand that an appraisal is really done for the financial institution in a, in a real estate transaction. The buyer pays for it, but it's really, as you explained, it's really done to protect the bank. And sometimes people can't get a loan approved of because the appraisal was low because the bank is really the one who owns the property and they're the ones that are taking the risk. So I'm, I'm really glad that you um, talked about the, the risk to the financial institution. And as far as COVID, what I'm grateful for is that you kept saying right now, right now, right now, because I do think that while we are in an early recovery stage and we are seeing a tremendous amount of volume uh, right now in terms of activity, I can look through the MLS right now in and when I'm researching particular houses and it's nothing but active contingent, active contingent, pending, active contingent. Yeah. But but again, I think some of that might be pent up demand, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see as the recovery continues whether how the ripples roll. Are they going to roll into a more vigorous, or as we see that the people who weren't waiting to be able to leave their houses again, or waiting to be able to go visit. And, and tour houses, are we going to all of a sudden see a great kind of leveling in the market, say, in, in our case, in, in Tucson, say, in maybe August, you know, heat of the summer, everybody who wanted to buy or sell has done it, and, and now we have a little bit of a doldrum. So I, I think, as you're saying, there's a lot to be seen, but I'm so grateful for you to have joined me today, and I'm just wondering if there's anything that you – didn't get to uh, either about appraising in general or about COVID specifically that you would like to add? Uh, we covered pretty much uh, everything that I had in mind. Um, uh, I just want to reiterate that that we don't know, nobody knows exactly what's going to happen. And, and I'd like to caution our listeners to 
not make very quick decisions without the data to back them up. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm saying this to protect the homeowners. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to sell too quickly and, and reduce a property in a quote-unquote panic selling um, situation. And, and also, you don't want to um, change your behavior so much because of COVID. Whether this is going to be extremely bad, whether it's going to go away, whether um, everyone is overreacting or underreacting, we all have to live in this planet and in this country and in our southern Arizona market. We all have to have a place to live. We all have to survive as as we always have. And as such, even if it is bad or good, um, if we are, are taking that data and, and that information that's out there and, and making our decisions based on that, um, I think that's the best course of action for us and the market and the homeowner and their values of their home. And the larger community. Oh, absolutely, yes. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I have been talking today with Alexander Tapia, who is a certified residential appraiser with the Associated Residential Appraisers of Southern Arizona. And Alexander, if anybody would want to get in touch with you, do you have a phone number or contact information that you'd like to share? Oh, absolutely. We can be reached. Our phone number here is a 520-318-6000. That's a 520-318-6000. And uh, we can be reached uh, via uh, email. Um, we still have uh, um, the parent company that I uh, that uh, I bought out uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, we still have that email address, but it can be info at Madsen Brown. That's M-A-D-S-O-N, brown like the color, dot com. So info at madsonbrown.com is still a viable email address. Um, while we are ramping up our new servers and uh, getting together our own individual emails. Well, thank you so much, Alex. I know how busy you are, and I I was particularly impressed when you told me I'll do it because I think this is important information for the public to have, and that's the exact purpose of why I do this program. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate your information, your knowledge and experience, and your your care and concern for educating the public. And this is Carol Nygut, your home for real estate. You can reach me at 520-448-6033. And I'm always happy to get questions or suggestions for future programs. So in the meantime, uh, thank you all for listening, and I hope you all stay safe, be well, And we'll see you next time. Thank you, Carol. And thank you to all the listeners. We hope you enjoyed your Home for Real Estate with Carol Dygett on Tucson Business Radio X, 